Hi guys, this is Doug. Welcome back to What's the Hazard. It's Friday, July 24th here in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, just coming off of vac- vacation and then the following week, I don't know if you take vacations in your world. Taking a vacation as a self-employed guy has almost more trouble than it's worth, man. You come back from vacation and then you're bombarded with work. Fortunately, I'm not complaining, but man, it is a rough week. So it is Friday, the week after my vacation. Uh, I've survived it. Um, trying to, I've got things back in order and uh, looking forward to the weekend. I hope you are too. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, things are still kind of crazy out there, I realize. So I um, uh, hope things are going well for you. Um, nobody in the studio with me today other than Pat, and uh, he nods a little bit once in a while if he's awake. <laughs> you know, but, so just me today. Uh, we're going to do uh, just a few shorts. Uh, we're going to continue on the uh, OSHA Top 10, the most frequently cited, and see if we can whittle a few more of those off the list. Uh, I've also got some thoughts and observations from the past few weeks, and so and a little bit of food for thought. Uh, just those of you that are out there um, trying to make this safety thing work, uh, just some things that I've thought of over the last week or two that I thought we might be able to talk about. Um, again, this podcast is brought to you by four incredible sponsors. I want to thank them. I mean that in all sincerity. These, these folks are great, and they are helping me make this happen. CCS Group, Custom Concrete Specialists, Cheyenne, Josh, and all the people at CCS Group. Um, CCS Group is a leading expert on safety and longevity of concrete structures their focus is on superior customer service, quality materials, and workmanship. Nationwide services include structural liners, carbon fiber technology, exterior restoration, and structural assessments. Uh, everything done safely. Uh, they are refurbishing grain elevators, concrete grain elevators, and uh, they do a fantastic job. Also, safety reports. Steve, Chet, Eric, all the folks over at Safety Reports, they've been supporting me from the very beginning. I can't thank them enough. Uh, safety simplified. If you're not using safety reports, uh, go to the website safety-reports.com and check them out. Their their products uh, are fantastic. They are useful. They make your life easier. So check out safety reports. Nebraska Department of Labor on-site consultation group. Jim Cover and his um, safety and health specialists uh, are available to help you. Uh, evaluate risk in your workplaces and, and uh, address those things. Um, Cover has been doing it a long time. Uh, he and I started back in the 90s at the same time, and um, he's the program director at this point, and they do a terrific job. Uh, your tax dollars are paying for this if you live here in Nebraska, if you work in Nebraska. They specialize on smaller businesses, 250 employees on site, 500 nationwide, so they're intended for small business. If you are a small business and you're not using on-site consultation, I highly recommend that you give Jim a call. Check him out, 402-471-4717, and you can find, find them in Nebraska Department of Labor. I think safety is the tag for them, so check them out. Then finally, Medical Enterprises. Um, medical Enterprises, Lou, Beth, Sean, um, these guys are involved in occupational and medical health services. They do drug testing, drug screening. Uh, for one of my clients today, I think Lou is doing some fit testing, uh, maybe some audiology. Um, they are incredibly helpful. They, they travel, they come onto your site, they make life so much more convenient rather than having to send employees out to an occupational health facility. 
medical enterprises will come to you and do those things for you. So check them out as well. So all of my sponsors, thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Um, observations, uh, as I mentioned, vacation is rough as a consultant. Uh, you, there's nobody to back you up. I'm just a one man operation. I leave for a week. Uh, you try to work a little bit in the mornings. I don't know if you've ever been on vacation and tried to work. It's just almost worse than it is. I mean, you don't separate, you know, your phone is ringing, you're getting emails. You, I get up in the morning and try to respond to some emails Um, but man, I am, you know, vacation for me is get up before the family's up. So there's a little bit of quiet, uh, sit out on the deck or wherever you happen to be and drink some coffee and just, you know, relax and enjoy. And, uh, then you're sitting there knowing that you need to be working on these things. You need to be checking emails. It's just horrible. So this entire week that I've been back has just been, you know, out of control, trying to catch up. And I, I, I don't know, man, I'm, you know, I will say one thing about working for the government. I think I got about 14 weeks of vacation, paid vacation, or something like that, something ridiculous, you know. I think it was actually eight weeks of paid vacation every year by the time I'd had 25 years in, plus about nine federal holidays. You can't even take all your vacation. You get so much vacation, and I kind of miss that. So um, I do want to talk about pre-qualification. Um, Contractor pre-qualification. This is something over the last five or 10 years that has become very prevalent. Uh, There are a lot of companies doing this now. Um, I'm not going to name any names. Uh, There are a number here in Nebraska that do that, and I know that they are nationwide and oftentimes the case. Um, It's interesting because OSHA expects you as a host contractor or as a general contractor to do your due diligence and to pre-qualify any contractors that you might have on your sites or on your projects, in your facilities. And this is a good idea. This is important. Um, We need to know who we're bringing on to our sites. If they are good contractors, good companies, if they have questionable work practices or, you know, colorful OSHA histories, we need to know those things. And so um, this, um, This pre-qualification world has emerged where third parties are doing this evaluation for you. Uh, It is interesting, though. I think that uh, I've had some experience with this. Some of my clients have been required to go through this pre-qualification process, and you submit paper and, you know, your programs, written programs, training records, things of that nature, um, perhaps even injury histories, you know, OSHA logs, things like that get submitted, and then... The pre-qualification company either passes you or fails you, and that determines whether or not you work for these companies, these hosts or these GCs. And, you know, I understand that the doing the pre-qualification internally is almost prohibitive. I mean, that's an incredibly challenging thing, but I find it interesting. For example, one of my buddies has a, as a, he's a contractor here in Omaha, they received notice that they were going to have to submit information to one of these pre-qualifiers to work on a large project at a large host, uh, a client that they'd actually worked for for many years prior. Uh, and so they, they understood, okay, we've got to fill out some paperwork. We've got to submit an application and be reviewed. And then within about an hour from that notification, they also got a call from a company that was suggesting that they could get them pre-qualified, guaranteed, you know, for five grand a year or something like that. I just found that to be a little bit distasteful. Interesting, but uh, somewhat distasteful. Um, The one thing that I will say about pre-qualification is, um, depending on what you find, 
about these contractors that you're perhaps bringing onto your site or your facility, the level of attention that you pay to those contractors is somewhat dependent upon this pre-qualification. So good companies that have good histories and good records, uh, your due diligence is much less for those contractors. But if you have a company, maybe a sole source provider or a specialist that you just need for some reason, but they have somewhat checkered past or checkered history, the level of uh, attention that you have to pay, th- pay them is significantly higher based on that information. And so it's just not one size fits all. We, we need to, we need to uh, measure our monitoring or measure our um, oversight of these contractors based on these pre-qualification, these histories. And so it is important. Um, one thing that I find that you cannot measure on, on a pre-qualification application is intent, attitude, commitment, um, those types of things I think are lost. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, those things are incredibly important to uh, the nature of these contractors and their work efforts. Um, so, again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not judging the prequalification that needs to be done, and these people have uh, definitely filled a void. Um, it is incredibly challenging to do that yourselves, but um, I guess we have to take the information with a grain of salt. Uh, one thing I would be interested in personally is, uh, in addition to maybe um, experience modification rates or OSHA injury rates, I would also be interested in things like employee longevity. Do we have a lot of them? Have the employees turned over regularly or do we, do we have longevity in our workforce? Uh, what type of commitment, you know, what level of commitment does management have to these programs? I mean, you can certainly download a bunch of written programs and submit them, put your name on them, you know, put them on a letterhead and submit them and probably pass. I would assume that most of the reviews are keyword searches. And so, it may or may not involve any real evaluation, but again, um, a lot of things about a safety program that can't be measured that way, and unfortunately, that probably impacts good companies from time to time. Um, so enough about that. Uh, I just it just struck me as I was driving over here that um, you know that's something that has become a big part of what we do, and you know, obviously, as with everything else, there are challenges to that. Uh, The second thing I want to let you know about is the Omaha area office is conducting programmed inspections again. Uh, The COVID had kind of overtaken all of their activities for a long time. And um, I think that the OSHA area office is back out in the field making programmed inspections, uh, making more routine inspections. And so if you are a company that is covered by one of the OSHA programs, local emphasis programs, national emphasis programs for that matter, just be aware that they're out there again. Uh, they're making inspections again. They will still address COVID issues as they come into the office. Uh, but I think they are trying to get back to some level of normality uh, and, and uh, uh, start up with the program inspections once again. Um, I do think that you will see uh, with regard to COVID, I, and I don't know if you've had any involvement with the OSHA area office with regard to COVID, But one of the things that they do when they have issues like that that are not necessarily regulatory driven, they're more guideline driven, uh, would be hazard alert letters, things like that, where they put you on notice uh, that there might be some deficiencies in your approach or your programs, but it does not necessarily involve an on-site inspection. 
nor would it necessarily at that point involve citations and penalties. So just be aware of that and, um, you know, um, keep your eyes out because I think the guys are back out. All right, just a few things I want to cover in this episode, just some safety basics. Uh, Those of you that have been doing this a long time, this is going to be just review. But for those of you that are relatively new to safety, uh, maybe you're a small contractor, maybe you're a small business owner, just a few ideas I want to throw out there for you, uh, just things to consider. We talk, you know, the, the program is called What's the Hazard? And we talk about hazards all the time. And a hazard is just simply a condition or a behavior that has the potential to cause serious injury or death. Uh, it's just a condition or it's a behavior. It's something of that nature. It doesn't say much more about it than that. Um, risk, on the other hand, is really a likelihood of some type of bad outcome from exposure to that hazard. And so when we do risk assessments, we are considering the condition uh, and the likelihood of having an exposure to that condition or that hazard. So uh, they are different. The terms are different. They mean different things. Uh, we'll talk it, um, in the next episode about risk assessment, how we do that with OSHA. The basic uh, matrix that we used for risk assessment was simply a severity code and a, a probability code. We would just look at a hazard and determine you know, what the most likely outcome of an in involvement with that hazard would be, you know, some type of an incident involving that hazard. And we would assign a severity, you know, high severity, medium severity, low severity. And then we would consider the probability of an exposure to that uh, particular hazard, whether that be uh, greater or lesser. You know, if there's a high likelihood of exposure, low likelihood of exposure, very simple mat- matrix, just those two elements to consider, but that would give us a risk assessment, a rack, as you know, if you will, a risk assessment code. And OSHA bases their penalties on that risk assessment code. So keep in mind that there are hazards out there where there is very little exposure. We don't have to worry about those or perhaps we don't have to worry about those quite so much. But if we do have hazards where there is a heightened level of exposure, we I probably need to focus on those things. Uh, another thing that I wanted to talk about is why people take risks. And Pat, you might I might ask you this, man. Um, you know, we talk about we do these risk assessments, and we one thing we have to be aware of is why people take risks, and that that may be one of the most challenging issues we deal with in safety. I mean, these behaviors. Why do people stick their head in places where they shouldn't be, or why do people reach into machines, or why do people take risk? And I I think an understanding of why people take some of these risks uh, helps us control them a little better. You know, why do people do the things that they do? So I'm just going to ask you, man. I mean, um, you work around the house. I mean, you look like a guy that works around the house. So yeah. project guy. Uh, no, I, my, my wife's more of a project <laughs> do, guy do, than I am. Does she, does she uh, mow your grass or do you uh, mow the grass? Well, my, my brother's company mows our grass. Oh, geez. Okay. So, well, this isn't going to work very but, well for well, me. But, but we do a lot of, her dad is um, an architect and he completely redid their house. So oh, she really? kind of has that same, she does projects all the time. We're okay. Doing things all over the sure. place. And, yeah. Well, so, so when, when you or your wife or your father-in-law or your brother, whoever, whoever you dump the project off right. on, apparently, <laughs> when they do these projects, I mean, do you wear safety glasses when you cut your grass or no? do you weed whack when you're out there weed whacking? Do you wear safety glasses or? You know what? When I was younger, I never did. Occasionally I will, you know, just because I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old and try to 
pretend I'm smarter, right. but I do. Um, something that I that I do now that I never did, and it's because my mother-in-law, I can't remember the name of what it is, but you have that consistent ringing in your ear. Mm-hmm. Tinnitus. Tinnitus. She yep. has that, and it was because of one incident where she was vacuuming in the basement, and it just never went away. It was like really loud vacuum, mm-hmm. and so she said, Changed you know, the belt, maybe, or something? I, it, it, was like, it wasn't even that loud that she said, so it just really? kind of hit, and so from, you know, when we, she started telling me about this, that it can be caused from loud noises, so if I'm right. ever using a, a circular saw or anything, now we're ear protection. You'll, you'll use her? I will. Oh, good. Yeah, because I don't want it. You know, she's like, don't ever, I don't want, don't wish this on anybody. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, so I do, it I do that. Um, and there's really some medications don't. that re- can really exacerbate that, man. I mean, you take mm-hmm. too much aspirin even, or think you'll get that, you know, that tinnitus. I can't imagine it's that. horrible, man. So that's something that's easy, easy fix, just wear protection. So you so, will use hearing mm-hmm. protection. Good for you. And, yeah. you know, I mean, this is something in my house. You know, I've got two sons and they mowed the grass when they were living at home. I mean, they're both gone now in Fort Moore. Fortunately, unfor- however you want to yeah. look at that. Whatever Fortunately. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I have eye protection, hand protection, foot protection. I mean, you know, you see people out mowing the grass, uh, no eye protection. They're in flip flops yes. or something or barefooted. I mean, it just horrifies me. Um, I think people, I think one of the reasons people don't or they would take risks is they don't, they're just unaware of the risk. You know, they don't realize the risk. I mean, they don't see it. They've never seen an example of it. Mm-hmm. They've never seen that in their lives. I mean, your mother having talked to you about tinnitus is actually pretty interesting. If you had not heard that from her, you probably wouldn't be quite as cautious as you are. I didn't even are. know that it, that it was a thing. I had never heard of it before. Exactly. Yeah, and so I, think, I have no idea. I think this is one of the things that we deal with in the safety world is that people are just unaware of risk. They're unfamiliar with risk. And I but what do, you example, think, what do you think it happens when somebody's at the workplace and they clearly know what the risk is, yet they still make a, it, is it like just an impulse decision? Like I've been doing this for 30 years, right. I'm just going to reach in there and grab that quick, nothing's right. ever happened. And that's when something happens. I, I do think that that is very common, man. And I think to some degree that is complacency. Um, you know, de- the definition of complacency might just be self-satisfaction. Like I know how to do this. I got this. And you all know. of a sudden you are, you know, doing that over and over. And for whatever reason on that occasion, you know, something misaligns or something goes wrong and we have a bad outcome. I do think, I think part of that is that the perception of risk is low. If you've done something over and over and mm-hmm. over again, and you've never had a bad outcome, you perceive that risk is low. And, and you know, people who have never been around an accident or, or, you know, fortunately, they've never seen a bad accident or a workplace fatality, you know, it's just a rumor to them, you know, some of these things that, you know, they, maybe it's, there's an urban legend associated with it, but they, they have no personal experience. It's like touching the stove. Yeah. Right. You know, you're told don't touch the hot stove. Don't touch the hot stove. You got to touch it, right. You got to figure it out for yourself. And unfortunately, is that why people give, um, you guys and, and people from OSHA a hard time when they come on and they try to talk to, to, to groups of, of workers because they think, well, these guys are just blowing smoke. I I've think never that seen has this. a lot to do with it, man. That's a great question. Um, and I think there is, um, unfortunately, part of the problem is the OSHA guys and gals um, unfortunately have the opportunity to see a number of these bad outcomes. They, you know, I think in the 17 years I was with OSHA, we as an office probably investigated two to 300 fatalities and thousands of accidents. And so, you know, your yeah. awareness becomes really heightened. But if you work on a project or you work for a company where you've never had a, an incident like that, man, it's again, it's just, it's rumor. It's I mean, you've, you, yeah. you don't have any direct. So when the OSHA guy comes in and starts barking at you because your bench grinder isn't guarded correctly, you know, you get that 
$10,000 citation because the work rest isn't adjusted properly. Um, you think it's a bunch of crap. Yeah. But I think it's a cash grab. You know, you just think, yeah, it, you just think, yeah to, it's mm-hmm. just the government screwing me. Yep. Um, the reality is the, those OSHA guys deal with this stuff all the time and they just have a heightened sense of appreciation for how dangerous some of this stuff mm-hmm. is. So that perception of risk is incredible. And I think it's interesting. I, I wish I had the ability or the intelligence to do some research on this, but I think there is a genetic and environmental component to risk tolerance, right? That's interesting. I mean, okay. I have two sons. One of them is a uh, uh, is an adventure guy. You know, he he's a longboarder. He does the downhill skateboarding. I don't know if you've ever no seen way, this, man. but yeah. they're up in the mountains racing down the mountain on skateboards at 60 miles an hour. No, thanks. He climbs, you know, he snowboards. He does all the, I mean, he loves adrenaline, apparently. He loves that adventure. I've got another son that never leaves the bedroom. I mean, he is literally, he's, he's indoors all the time. I think their perception of risk is so different that, that, you know, you bring people into a workplace and yeah, that's a good point. you've got a hundred people and they all have a different risk tolerance. Some of them don't mind running around on the roof. I mean, like the guys yeah. in the picture you sent me yeah. the other day, they're leaning yeah. over the roof. It doesn't bother them. I couldn't, I couldn't believe when I saw that, I couldn't believe it. Oh, I know. I, I, yeah. I mean, just, I have a, a terrified, I'm terrified of heights. I am too. So I would never do that anyway. I agree. But, but one slip. I mean, and you're done. One, you're done. Yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah. That's why done. I wouldn't be good on one of those job sets because I would be the guy in the big balloon thing just walking oh, yeah, around. Man. Just because I, you, I, especially after hearing the stories from you. But I'll tell you what, though, man, as an employer, I think you, you need risk takers for certain things, but you also want people that have some comprehension of risk or some, some appreciation mm-hmm. for risk as well, because you don't want a company full of risk takers. You're going to just you know, you're going to get slammed with injuries and the costs are just prohibitive, you know, but I guess if you, you know, if your entire workforce is afraid to take any risks, you'll probably never get anything accomplished either. So yeah, I always thought it would be interesting and the HR people would probably hate it. But if you could do some type of a genetic screening, you know, maybe there's some genes that are associated with this risk tolerance. Yeah. You know, you'd give some blood, they check it and all of a sudden they realize, (laughs) okay, this guy cannot be the roofer. You know, this guy has to sit in the office or something. If that, or, if that test existed, that would be fantastic. It would be interesting, yeah. wouldn't it? I, I just think, you know, being unaware of risk, uh, for example, new employees or temporary employees, a lot of company, when you first hire a new employee, um, there is a much higher likelihood that a new employee is going to have an injury. You know, they're unfamiliar with the work. They're unfamiliar with the environment. Uh, they don't understand the risks associated with certain activities and they do stupid shit and they mm-hmm. get hurt, you know? And so, and temps are the same way. Just imagine being a temp, you know, today you're working at a, you know, at a multimedia place or you're doing telemarketing and the next day you're in a factory or, I mean, yeah, that'd be, that'd you, be you've never seen the equipment before. You, you know, it's just overwhelming. I mean, yeah, you know, you and I are going to go do some visits to some facilities once, you know, the doors open yeah. a little bit more widely. But I can remember the first time that I walked into a, steel mill or a foundry or a, a meat packing plant, it freaks you out. I mean, it almost overwhelms you. It's just so much that, um, well, hearing, just hearing some of the things, not even the, I know I've heard stories from you guys about 
workplace accidents, fatalities and stuff, but also on the other side, hearing where you guys talk about the remedies for things, whether it's, you know, I, I can't even think of any specific examples, but you'll talk about things like we had to go and went into a job site and we had to fix this and this because this was a danger. And I never even thought of something like that being a danger, you know, so right. and you guys already have the fixes for this. So walking into these factories in these on these job sites shows that you, you can see danger where other people don't. Absolutely. And you know, that is, you know, that just comes from training and experience. I mean, to be able to recognize hazards for one thing, you know, it's kind of the point of this entire program is just to provide information. So people are a little bit more aware of the hazards that might be on their work sites. You know, when we talk about this OSHA top 10, these are the things that the OSHA people are seeing and citing on workplaces that are, that are potentially hazardous, you know, or they are hazardous and potentially risky you know there's a potential exposure to them so do some of these guys not want to do and, and girls too not want to follow the rules or, or do things to help themselves be safer because they're going to be perceived as like a pussy we're in a we're oh a, we're, dude we're you a, are i'm telling I'm you man, i'm telling to, you ted you said you thought <laughs> I, i've never paid attention here I've yeah, learned a you, ton. You, you are paying attention yes. i'm impressed by yes, that because half the time i'm not paying attention <laughs> i so told you i am impressed by but man <laughs> you, you have just touched on something that I think even more today than yesterday is critical. And I think that's ego. Mm -hmm. I think ego has a lot to do with uh, a willingness to take risks. You know, I mean, you think about this in the construction world and, you know, the guys on the construction sites, they tend to be ego guys. It's ego driven, you know, the iron workers, the guys that are up there hanging steel and walking the beams right. and things. Man, that is, you know, I mean, obviously skill and talent, but there's a lot of ego in that. Um, and ego can really come back to bite you. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I don't I don't know your position on this, and I'm not going to try to make this a political argument, but I think ego has a lot to do with dudes that don't like to wear face coverings for COVID. Oh, yeah, for you know, sure. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to tell them what to do. And this is not, I'm not talking about workplaces, and so it's kind of a Just diversion from what we've yeah. been talking about. But in general... You know, I go I go into the local grocery store or the um, the local pharmacy, whatever, and I wear a mask. I go into many of my clients and we wear masks. They require masks. They're doing the right thing. I wear a mask and I've kind of gotten over that uh, stigma mm -hmm. of wearing. Do I believe they're helping? Yeah, probably. I, you know, there's so much information and misinformation right. that I don't want to take a stand on that. But it's something that I'm willing to do. But I go in all the time and usually the non-wearers, not exclusively, but usually are dudes, mm -hmm. you know, and I think More to so some degree it's yeah. an ego thing, you know, I'm not afraid of no stinking virus, you know, yeah. or whatever. I mean, even right. though I can't see yeah, I it. Think or, you're right. You know, I think you're just, right. and that is true on our work sites too, you know, and so I think we have to find ways to work around this ego. And it's kind of true for younger employees, new employees, they want to impress the boss. They want to look like they're, at least they used to. I don't know if young people do anymore, but they used to want to impress the boss. They wanted, used to look like, uh, they wanted to look like they were useful. They could do the job. And so um, I think they let their ego get in the way at times. And that is a, man, that is a behavior that is incredibly difficult to work with. I mean, you really have to be preemptive to, uh, to break that, chain, you mm -hmm. know, that ego driven risk taking chain. So until something happens to them or they see, they yeah. witness something and maybe that would shake them back up and like, this is, exactly. there, is there are real dangers. And you know what? I was talking to a client just the other day and this guy is a relatively new client. Great guy. I'm enjoying learning from him. I'm learning their business from him. 
uh, really uh, good at what he does. Uh, big guy, rugged guy. I mean, uh, but he was telling me a story about falling off the roof of their building. You know, doing that some work that had to be done. You know, he, he had, you know, one of those things that you come in on the weekend, you, it needs to get done. Nobody's, I'm not, you know, I'm not asking an employee to do it, you know, but he came in and he fell off the roof. And through the grace of God or just he's incredibly tough or mean or whatever, he didn't have a horrible outcome, but it could have been catastrophic. And he told me, you know, from that experience, uh, he doesn't do that anymore. But so man, it, took, it took, but it, if you have to it. fall right. in order to believe in fall protection or you have to cut a finger off in order to believe in machine guarding or whatever, man, I mean, there's going to be right. a lot of carnage. Yeah. You know? Right. I mean, we a lot of times you're not going to have a second chance. We shouldn't have to learn it that way. Yeah, but that, it is it is so difficult. So, so back to like, the and the masks thing. Maybe the people that the guys that aren't wearing the masks, like you had said, that it's uh, if they catch it, or yeah. if or like somebody close to them does, and they were they were asymptomatic, and they need to react to it. It's like, well, you know what? This was my fault. I could have maybe prevented it if I wore masks. That is exactly right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the gentleman Dan, the guy that came in here and talked about COVID a few months yeah. ago, and then another friend of mine who was just recovered from being hospitalized for COVID, another, a safety professional, good friend of mine. Um, they say the same things, you know, I mean, and, and you hear that on the news constantly, somebody that's just being released from the hospital and they come out and say, this is real. You need to pay attention to this. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, two months ago, I didn't believe it. And I didn't, and I mean, it's just a horrible way to have to learn a lesson. Right. Agreed. You know? Mm-hmm. And so I think if we're aware of why people take risks, Either they are unaware of the risk uh, or they perceive the risk as low. I mean, how many times have you ever taken a stepladder, for example, and just leaned it up against the wall to climb up something? Yes. I do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to. It's not the way the, the ladder was designed to be used. And OSHA can cite you for that. But it yep. doesn't seem all that risky. All the time. You know, hell, I've been on my roof. And I used to, I've re-roofed my own house a few times. Well, with help, obviously. I mean, I have no skills, but yeah. <laughs> I had somebody help me re-roof my house. But climb around on the roof. I just about got up on the roof of uh, the house where we were on vacation to clean the gutters out. And I, I thought to myself, you know, man, at 60, if I hit the ground, it's going to be a, it's not going to be pretty. long vacation, right. you know, and but you're taking your own advice. Not exactly. Doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's taken me quite a long time to get there. And so that perception, the other thing that is very common is that the alternative to working safely seems much easier or it's much more comfortable, or it's much faster. You know, I'm just going to jump down in that trench for a minute, and man, to put all that protective shoring in there, or to drop a trench box in there takes so long. I'm just going to go in there and make this one connection on this pipe, and then back out. So it's much faster to do it without yeah. taking all those measures. Or, I don't know if you, you know, PPE, this personal protective equipment that we require people to wear, man, it sucks. I don't know if you've ever worn an actual respirator, you know, those tight fitting respirators, they're horrible, but you know, probably breathing in the contaminant is worse. Yeah. Right. You know, but I mean, so I'm just going to hold my breath and run in there for a minute. I've heard that many times, you know, or I was just going to jump down in the pit and hold my breath. And, you know, I mean, so this whole easier, faster, more comfortable thing kind of gets in the way as well. So what we're really talking about is just, um, understanding, risk, what it is. And that requires the employer to spend a lot of time probably with the employees, making sure they understand it and then developing good habits. 
You know, I mean, knowing that when I go into the plant, I have to wear this, this, and this PPE, or when I do this job, I have to use this, this, and this PPE or this equipment or something. And the employer's making it clear that that's what they expect and, and realizing that it might take a little bit of time that, that they're willing to incur a little bit of productivity loss, you know, based on following those safety rules. I mean, yeah. This is a, it's a huge undertaking, man. And human behavior, you know, is really, I mean, we can, we can find these unsafe conditions and we can fix them. That's what OSHA does. That's what I do oftentimes as a consultant, just help you find the things that are, have been identified as hazardous, you know, deemed hazardous and fix those. But they they probably don't even realize that's going on. Either they've moved far enough away from that procedure to where it's now that you're doing it Un, not safe and you used to be you don't even realize you're doing it over here you just need to be brought back on the I don't on think the they, track I, I think you, I, I think that's a big part of it mm-hmm. and employers have to be willing to do that you know just help refocus them bring it back on track um, convince them that hey maybe whether you believe this is risky or not here at work we're not going to do that unsafely right this I mean you can do it at home do whatever you want at home I shouldn't say that because we want people to be safe at home too but I don't control what you do at home, but in the workplace, we have to do this. Mm-hmm. We can't have employees getting hurt. We can't be out of compliance. You know, we have to do all of those things. And so um, I think this this piece of identifying why people take risks and then addressing those issues in your workforce is really critical. Yeah. And a difficult job to do. And a difficult job. Mm-hmm. This is why uh, this is such a difficult undertaking. You know, it just... It's an attitude thing. We, we use the term culture all the time, safety culture, but it really is about attitude, you know, about conveying an attitude that uh, we intend to work safely. We intend to produce our products safely or deliver our service safely. And this is how we do that. You know, these steps, these procedures are how we do that. So uh, that's a lot to think about, man. I'm going to leave it at that for now. Um, you didn't have the clock up. How long did that go? It was 33 minutes. It wasn't really? Yeah, heck That yeah. was 30 minutes? Oh, man, I'm yeah. sorry, guys. What? Oh, hey. They, I apologize. Just, I was hoping to be, I thought that was about 10 minutes. You no, know, they, they love it as much as I do. I, I think you. I over-caffeinated this morning or something. <laughs> man. All right, guys, we're going to call it. Uh, those are just a few things to think about. Keep that in mind. You know, why your employees take risks um, and see what you can do to intervene in that. And... Um, Again, uh, I've got a few safety shorts coming up for you, so I hope you uh, tune back in, Um, and I appreciate your listening. Thanks again to my sponsors. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. A Parkville Media Production.